Amen. Let's just lift our hands. Father, we thank you for your presence, Lord. We recognize, Father, that you are more than enough for us. And you've freely given us so much. You've freely given us the gift of your son, Jesus, that we might know you, that we might see in the person of Christ what you look like, Father, how you are towards us, your disposition towards humanity, that we would receive in Christ's death the forgiveness of all of our sin, that we would receive from Christ's hands the gift of the Holy Spirit, that all of us would have the presence of God dwelling on the inside of us, making us new, causing us to be new creations in Christ Jesus, causing us to live with hope, live with faith, live with love in our hearts. And Lord, we thank you, Lord, that you've begun to place dreams and visions in the hearts of your people. Lord, you've begun to stir us, Father, to a hopeful future, Lord, where you are glorified, where your name is lifted high. And Lord, we pray today that you continue to inspire us, where you continue to stir us. And Lord, that we would see your name honored in this land as we honor you in our hearts. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Wonderful. Why don't you take your seats? Yep. Great to have all of you here. Thank you so much to the worship team. It's great to worship with you guys and be in the presence of God. And it's great to be back here preaching with you. How are you all doing? It's been a little while since I've uh, preached on a Sunday, so got to dust off those old vocal cords and get in the spirit and hallelujah in 2015. Amen. We're continuing the series that's just highlighted on the inside cover of the Revival Times, page three, on um, dreams and visions. And Chris and Christian have so far laid a foundation in what we've been talking about so far, why we need visions and dreams and faith for your dreams. And Christian was really highlighting last week that we're all created with a purpose. We're called by God to use our voice and to glorify God in the specific place and area that he's given us influence and dominion. And to do that in faith in Christ Jesus. Now, before we get any further into um, the message, just want to take a moment. Um, I don't know that Max uh, connected perhaps with some of you who know, may perhaps not know about Elim, but Elim is our denomination. It's part, uh, we're a part of it. It's a Pentecostal uh, movement, and you might have heard of other Pentecostal churches like the Assemblies of God. Our particular stream is the Elim Pentecostal Churches, and this house, Kensington Temple, was the headquarters church for the founder, George Jeffries. Now, that's interesting history to some, and some just like, well, dude, the guy was here 100 years ago, 80 years ago. What's the relevance for me today? But I want to bring it into a little bit into the focus that we have for today's message, taking the first step into your dreams and making your dreams happen. And you saw in the little video presentation that they begun with six men in a morning in January. I don't know what they were doing together in January. Maybe they'd had a great Christmas party together and now they were just continuing that celebration as they committed to God. Or maybe they were far away from home at a specific, this specific point and were wanting to remember the community that they're a part of. But six men sat down and started to speak about the call of God for a nation and to believe God for this nation to be saved. And over the years, I think right now, Elam is in the region of 60,000 people or so, 500 churches right across England, but there's Elam France, Elam Italy, Elam New Zealand. Uh, the Elam movement is spreading increasingly all over the world. But one thing in specific, any of you watch the BBC proms? They're on TV the whole summer, you know, where they put on classical music and there's that fantastic Royal Albert Hall. Have any of you seen the inside of the Royal Albert Hall? Yeah, good. If you haven't, get some culture. Five pounds, you can just walk in on the day and just go and listen to some great music there. But I want to show you this picture. Maybe the camera can pull in tight on this shot. If you can just zoom in a little bit on that shot there. This is the Royal Albert Hall filled with Christians uh, in a George Jeffries meeting in the 20s and 30s. And you see right there at the back the famous organ and right where they would have BBC proms, it's got four square on the word of God. And real focus on what God is doing. And in those meetings, they used to have 15,000 people. And in one of those meetings, they baptized 1,000 people in one Easter service. That took them eight hours. Would you stand and watch eight hours while they baptized 1,000 people? But why am I showing you this? This is a visible demonstration of a dream being realized. Six men becoming 15,000 in a meeting room, glorifying God with a 1,000 people getting baptized. That's the stuff of dreams. That's the stuff of vision. That's the stuff of moving with the living God. Amen? 
Think about that, that God would so move in the hearts of men and women that they begin to come together with a vision to glorify God, with a vision to honor God, with a vision to see the nation transformed by the power of God. That's a dream. That's a vision. That's something being worked out in and through their lives. And a visual representation for us as we move into the message now. I want to start with 1 Corinthians 13 and verse 13. So now, faith, hope, and love abide, these three. But the greatest of these is love. Now you might think that this is a bit of a funny verse to start a series or message on dreams and visions with, but I want you to spend a moment thinking, what's the opposite of faith? Unbelief. It can't happen. What's the opposite of hope? Hopelessness. There's no way forward for me to go. What's the opposite of love? Fear. And normally what our fear is, is it won't happen to me, I won't see it. It'll happen to everyone else, but I won't be a part of it. Now if you were to think about any one of these things, unbelief, hopelessness, or fear, it's probably one of those things which is undermining your living the dream in your life. And all of these three things are linked together. They overlap in some way, but it's one of those. Whether it cannot happen, whether it will not happen, or whether I will not see it, are part of the reason why we cease to dream and to hope. Now, on the screen, I've got a little picture to show you. When you walk into my house, my home, if ever you walk into my home, you'll see on the backdrop no, not, not on the backdrop here, a picture that you will see immediately as you walk into my house. Living the dream. That's right there. One of my good friends, Adam, who's one of the service team here, he leads one of the teams and does a fantastic job. Him and his wife got us this little placard for our wedding. So every time we walk into our house, myself and Rebecca, we get to see this wonderful sign, Living the Dream. And it just is a pictorial reminder. You can take it down now, guys. Thank you. It's a pictorial reminder to me of the fact that the life that I now live and the life that we now get to live is the same like the life you get to live, tangibly, substantially different to what it was before. Why? Because we've all had a life-changing, life-transforming encounter with the living God in the person of Christ Jesus. And you might be at the stage where you say, well, I've met Jesus, but he's only a little part of my life, but the rest is still pretty much what it was before. But the reality is that little part, however small it might be, is going to grow and it's going to infect <laughs> or transform the rest of your life because an encounter with Jesus will never leave you the same again. And you might be in a place where you've said, it can't happen. But that moment that you accepted Christ, you began to open your life to a faith which understands that the impossible things can happen with God. You began to open your heart to an understanding that there is a greater hope. Maybe you were looking at this situation and said, there's no way forward. But the Lord who set you free from sin is the same God who can provide a way through and a way around and a way over every circumstance and obstacle that finds itself trying to, present, trying to block you from the call of God on your life. And you might have been walking in a place of fear. I won't see it. It won't happen to me. But having encountered the living God, we are transformed in such a way that we are motivated by and act out of his perfect love that is revealed in and through us. Living the dream. What is your dream? What is it that God has put in your heart? What is it that you are holding on to God for and saying, God, I hope, I believe, I'm, I'm looking forward to the realization of this dream? Hopefully, it's something that you can be so passionate about that you would, so to speak, say that you love that dream. And if you find yourself holding back, if you find yourself uncertain, then I would perhaps question what is the motive, because all of us know. If we know that we're aspiring to something that's of the flesh, something that's worldly, we won't give it our everything. But if it's something you can throw your 100% passion into, then it's something that you can love and believe God that you're going to see. Living the dream 
loving the dream. But what about this as a question? What about if the dream is love? And I don't mean that simply from a perspective of, I hope one day I'm going to get married. I hope one day I'm going to have kids. And it's all of that kind of progression. It's a part of life, but it's not what life is all about. Okay. God calls us into an encounter with him where our lives become so transformed that what shines out of us is love. And the life that we live of love affects the people around us. Not an in love feeling necessarily, but a I am committed to loving you because you're a human being created in the image of God. What if that is a core foundational element of any dream that the Lord calls us to live? I began with a verse, faith, hope, and love abide, these three, but the greatest of these is love. And I wanted to start there because it links us directly into the next verse. And we'll see that it's the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit who brings about the fruit of love in our life is also the Holy Spirit that causes dream and vision to start to stir up in our life. In Acts 2, verse 17 and 18, the day that the Holy Spirit is restored to mankind in abundance, the day when man, woman, child, old person, whether old man or old woman, all qualify, servants, masters, all qualify to receive the Holy Spirit because God gives the gift of the Holy Spirit to all flesh. And on that day, this is the prophetic declaration that Peter quotes from Joel 2, reading from Acts 2.17. And in the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my Spirit on all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your young men shall see visions. Your old men shall dream dreams. Even on my male servants and female servants in those days, I will pour out my spirit, and they shall prophesy. Now, Christian spoke into the faith element last week. The spirit awakens the dream in you. It says here that your young men shall see visions, your old men shall dream dreams. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. The fact that we have had an encounter with God where we have exercised faith by saying, Lord, I believe in you as my Lord and Savior. I see a kingdom that is not of this world. I see a life that is not the life I've been living for myself. I see an end in you, eternal life that I could not hope for or hope to earn no matter how good I try to be or no matter how much money I throw at that problem. But by faith, I step into that inheritance. And faith causes us to believe that that which was formerly impossible is now possible. A greater power is at work in us, bringing forth life and bringing forth wholeness. And the thing about faith is that when your faith gets reignited, your hope can start to build again. Faith opens your eyes to a whole new set of options which were previously not there, made possible by the power of God working in you. Now, what does that mean tangibly? See, I think that the most powerful thing about the Christian walk is not that we can start to hope again for things that we might not have received. You might have had a long-time aspiration and dream, and you're like, God, okay, now, now because I have hope, I'm going to hope for that thing specifically to be fulfilled. Yes, maybe. That's part of it, maybe. But what else is stronger about the Christian faith is that if we don't receive it in this life, we're going to receive it in the next life. If it's not something that we encounter here, we hope to the future where we know that Christ is going to fulfill it in our lives. Now, you might say, whoa, that's a bit, <laughs> that's a bit of a cop-out. <laughs> it's going to happen after I die, so, well, what's the point? Well, the point is this, that we can be certain of the afterlife. Why? Because Jesus has risen from the dead. Where is he right now if he's not here on earth? He's living in that afterlife that we are going to be living with him in. Every religion that has Jesus as a part of that religion knows that he's coming again. Okay? So there's that element. But there's more than that. There's the promise that is given by God in the Holy Spirit, in your heart, that we will be with Christ in heaven. And if there's a heaven, it's going to be a heaven of a lot better than this place. And if there's a God, it's going to be much better living in relationship with him plainly where we can see him than what we have here today. And so you might say, well, I want to see it here. Yeah, we all got stuff we want to see here. 
We all got dreams and aspirations of things we want to see here, but we have a greater hope, a greater hope that we are going to be with Christ in heavenly places. And that helps us get through the challenges of life here to keep holding on to something when we perhaps don't, don't see it right now. That's hope. And this element of love, I want to unpack this a little bit before moving into the aspect of dreams because I believe that these foundational elements, faith, hope, and love, should define the realm in which we are dreaming. Love. I think perhaps one of the most unpinpointed things in our life is that it's fear that holds us back, nearly all of us back, from living the dream however it's manifesting. Fear that we might not be significant, fear that we might not have security, fear that we might not have self-worth holds us back from stepping out into being who God is calling us to be. I don't want to step forward because when I step forward, this weakness in my heart is going to be exposed. I don't want to start to do something for God because I don't want to do it out of the wrong motivation, so I'm not going to do anything. How many people do we know that are sitting in their seats thinking that they've got all the potential in the world, but they're not doing anything with it because of fear? Oh, I couldn't stand up and speak in front of people publicly. Oh, I, I don't know if I could tell people about Jesus, but Jesus really changed my life. I don't know if um, people would really listen to what I've got to say, but you've been through exactly the same situation. You've got a testimony. What is it that holds us back? Fear. But you see, love is a thing that transforms fear in our lives, that holds us back into love, which is the forward momentum and potential of action that God calls us to. We see that in 1 John 4. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him, and he in God. So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love, and whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. And by this is love perfected with us, so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment, because as he is, so also are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. It's not a condemnation. It's not, you've not been perfected in love, therefore you still fear. No, it's to highlight, okay, if you've got fear, there's still an answer. If you're still struggling, the answer is love. If you're still you still don't believe that there's a freedom from a punishing God in your life, the answer is love. If you don't believe that God has a plan for you, the answer is love. It's not to condemn you to say, oh, you know, you still got fear. It's to show you the route out, to know that the perfect love that God has for you will transform your heart on the inside. So as we begin with this foundation of faith, hope, and love as a context in which we dream, I want to encourage you to, when you're thinking about the dreams that God has put in your life, leave behind self-preservation. Lay aside selfish ambition. Stop dreaming small dreams that are really an expression of fear limiting what God has planned for your life. Stop setting your sight on mere worldly goals. I've got to have enough money to go shopping wherever I want buy whatever I want, buy whatever house I want, treat people however I want, give away as much as I want, that is going to define me and I will be living the dream in that context. Don't set your sight on worldly goals. See, some of those worldly goals, goals are mere waypoints in the Christian life. You know, why are we focusing on stuff that for us is so much money and so much value and yet God, just, God paves his street with gold? Understand the difference. Why do we aspire to the things that are of material value in this world when the God who paves his streets with gold shows us what is of eternal value and what is of eternal worth for us? Don't just dream about worldly things. And also, finally, don't wait till the end of your life to realize that you need to reorientate your goals to live the life that God had intended for you to live. Now, I know um, it's amazing that we've got a couple of people that have come to the Bible school in later life. They come when they're 65, 70, 75, 
And it's such an inspiration to see these people sitting there saying, I'm preparing for what God is going to do in this stage of my life. That's inspirational. Some of us just get taught that the 65-year-olds, you know, you just put them in a home somewhere and out of sight. And, but there's so much potential still in that 70-year-old, 65-year-old, and so on. But you could spin it. Why is it that they waited to 65 to suddenly understand the potential of God for their life, the call of God on their life. And that's when they start to realign and reorientate goals. What about you here today, especially young people? You need to come to Bible school. You need to come to Bible school, even if it's just for six months. Why? Because you're saying to God, not to me, not to the church, you're saying to God, God, I am putting you right at the core of my plan for my future. I am preparing a foundation in Christ for where you're calling me to go. I'm not setting off on my career aspirations and then I'm going to wait until I get to a certain point. Okay, now stop. Okay, now I'm going to do the God thing. No. Do the God thing so that as you pursue the call of God on your life, you are building on the correct foundation. You're doing what God is calling you to do. Okay. That's my Bible school push for today. So got these ideas of faith, hope, and love. And why is that the framework in which I want us to look at this issue of dreams? Maybe we need to think about it because our dreams perhaps need to be reassessed in the light of these three elements. What is it that you're dreaming about? Do you go online and flick through the stores and look at clothes and like, that one I really want one day? Wish list. That one I really want today, credit card. That one I really, do we look at houses? You know, God, I'm going to get to be able to buy this house one day. God, I'm going to get to be able to do that one day. And that's what we consume our lives with in terms of dreaming. Or maybe you dream about a relationship and so you're just on Facebook going through every photo all the way back till 2007 when they started their profile. None of you do that, I'm sure. Or maybe you're the one who is really career-minded, and you're like, okay, who's the one I need to network with? Who's the boss? Who's the guy I'm going to get on with? Okay, I'm going to go meet that guy. Okay, I'm going to go meet that person. Now I'm going to start to move towards this dream. And we start to build an image of a future that is basically, sorry to say it, not inspired by the Spirit. Let me tell you why it's not inspired by the Spirit. Because it's the world that puts that image in front of you every day. These are the clothes you need to wear. These are the type of people you need to be dating or married to. And this is the kind of home and car you need to drive in. What a waste of dream potential. What a waste of what God has put in us in, the, in terms of the capacity to believe God. When I say believe God, what am I talking about? What am I trying to put a finger on in terms of a dream. We remember guys like Martin Luther King who said, I have a dream. And his dream was centered around the unity of man, the honoring and value of mankind, that people would be able to sit together, eat together, get the same jobs, be you man, woman, black, white, Chinese, all of the other different races. That was the dream. Why did it catch on with so many people? Why? Because if you think about it, what is it that you actually really dream for? And what is it that you substituted in the place of unrealized dreams in that area? Maybe you dream about, I really wish my family would be able to sit down and have an awesome dinner where we encourage each other, bless one another, pray for one another, love one another. I really dream of a world where homeless people get welcomed into a home at least for a hot meal. I really dream of world peace <laughs> in, a, in a meaningful way, not the Miss World, I'm, I believe in world peace thing, but like genuinely, because that's going to take some hard graft. How many people are giving their lives through politics as part of the armed services, uh, as part of the medical response teams, are giving their life because they have a vision of it being better than it is? 
And then we substitute that noble course for what house, what car, what clothes. Maybe there's a dream in your heart, a dream that is maybe dormant, is maybe something you've given up hope on. Maybe you've sat when your family is arguing at the table and a little bit of hope has died. A little bit of aspiration has disappeared out of your heart. And you've maybe known that Jesus is the way and you've tried to talk about how Jesus has so radically transformed your life. And they're like, get out of here with that Jesus stuff. A little bit of faith that things can change begins to diminish in your heart. But what if we just start to put that back in the center of the dream that God has put in our heart? What if we start to elevate some of the things which set us apart as mankind? The aspiration of sickness being er eradicated. The aspirations of poverty being wiped out and no world hunger. These are dreams and visions. But the central one, I think the most important one, the aspiration that people would have a genuine encounter with the living God. Like your life has been so radically transformed, what about the world's life? As they connect with true life, you shall know the truth and the truth shall set you free. I've come that you might have life in abundance. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. What about if we set that as our dream? Oh, Abel, I believe that there's many ways to God. There's many conceptions of God. There's many views of God. There's many theologies. But in my reading, so far in my life, there's only ever been one Savior. There's only ever been one who wipes away sin. And as much as we think about God and God is righteous and God is, would accept me and God's supposed to be loving and God is supposed to just open up the doors of heaven, he opens up the doors of heaven to everyone who freely took a ticket. And the ticket is the robes of righteousness that come in Christ Jesus as we put our faith in him. There's only one way because there's only one person who's given their life for us and raised again from the dead to demonstrate to us that they're God. But imagine a world where such confrontational statements as I've just made actually set people free to meet with God, to love God. And in that, to know who they are in Christ and free them to love the people around them. See, the only way that that happens is if we all start a dream, real dreams. Real dreams where the dream is love. Where the community of Christ's people radiate the love of God, where it's so embedded in our hearts because of the transformatory work of Christ in us that we love one another and people see it. People are looking. They're watching you. Are you growing in love? Because that's the dream. I think this is so important that perhaps we just need to put a bit of meat on it. Think about Jesus. Jesus' greatest expression of love was that he went to the cross to die on the cross for us. Now, we only know this 2,000 odd years later, but it must have been very profound to the people that were standing at the foot of the cross and him saying, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. What a powerful expression of love. And what an amazing statement of what the core of Jesus' dream is about. Right in the core of that statement is the hope that he has. Lord, forgive them so that they can see a revelation of your love in me right here on the cross. If they hadn't been forgiven, they would have just been filled with hate. Look at this guy. He needs to be punished. He, you know, he's a filthy sinner. He said that he um, was God and he's not. He blasphemed. But instead, the forgiveness caused that hate to be parted. And they're looking on going, why is this holy man praying for me to be forgiven? And they catch an insight into a dream, a community of love made possible, a kingdom made possible by Jesus' work. Now, it's not just Jesus that did that, you see, because Stephen did the same thing. Stephen, on his knees as they're stoning him, lifts his hands and says, Father, forgive them, they don't know what they're doing. 
and opens the eyes of Saul or Paul, whichever way you call him, if you're calling him by Greek or Hebrew name. But his eyes get opened to a world that he could not conceive of in and of himself. He saw into a kingdom of love and he realized, wow, this is, this is what Jesus is for. And then Paul becomes one of the greatest missionaries that ever lived. That's what those two, three people did. Imagine what would happen with us. As we think about and weigh, is my dream God's dream? And Kemi's going to be talking, talking a lot into that next week. But faith, hope, and love are the frame in which we receive the purposes of God for dreaming. And I want to challenge you to dream big dreams. We know the passage in Isaiah, Christian often quotes it, where we extend the place of our tents to make room. We make room for more. We make room for more. We make room for more. If someone came to you and said, okay, um, you've got all the money you want to build a slight, to put an extension on your house, what would you do? Well, if I had all the money I want, I'd buy the houses around, knock them down, and build the house out. And now you might be thinking, well, I've only got this much garden, so I, I want to keep a bit of garden, so I'm just going to build a little bit, leave a bit of garden for the barbecue. Well, that's a limitation, isn't it? When it's talking about extending our expectation, broadening our dreams, let's broaden them as big as we can make them. Stretch the cords. I'll emphasize the point using the scripture that I read earlier from Acts 2. It talks about the fact that young men will dream dreams and old men will, dream vision, will have visions. Why do we need dreams and vision? What's the difference? A dream you can fulfill in more than one life. A vision is what you'll fulfill in your own. A young man can accomplish a vision in his lifetime, but an old man who dreams a dream. Martin Luther's dream, Luther King's dream is still being outworked in us today. What about this as a dream? A dream, not just of a city, but of my nation and the nations of the world coming to a revelation of Jesus. Are you going to be able to do it on your own? No. This is a powerful thing about dreams because a dream is supposed to be bigger than you. If we're going to extend the tent, let's make it so that it's bigger than us. As big as we can make it, as big as we can conceive. And believe God that he is going to fill it. See, some of us, we're hindered in our dreaming because we have a dream that we're trying to hide from everybody else. God has shown me something, but I'm not going to tell you about it. Why not? Because you are going to trample on my dream. You're going to stamp all over it. You're going to laugh at my dream. You're not going to value it. You're not going to think it's worth anything. You're going to belittle it and put it to the side. So I'm not going to tell you about my dream. Some of us have got that problem. Some of you are trying to keep the success for yourself. I don't want to share my dream because if I share my dream, then you're going to take it, you're going to take it, you're going to take it. And who's going to say that it was my dream? You're going to run around telling, saying it was your idea. Some of us don't share our dream because we don't want other people to be happy in the dream. But if we're going to do something that changes a city, changes a nation, changes not just our family, but our grandkids and our great-grandkids, it's got to be a dream that's worth living. This is why the big house and the flash car is not a worthy dream. All you need is a 2008, and your inheritance is gone. What you're passing on, zero. And it might take you a lifetime to build up the same money, but it won't take you a lifetime to pass on the same values, the same experience, the same encounter of life that you have shared so far with people. You can do that today. It costs you nothing except to give a sacrifice of love. So, talked a little bit about a framework of dreams. I want to talk a little bit into receiving a dream before we talk about stepping into that dream. Now, when we talk about a dream, receiving a dream, we're not just talking about nighttime dreams. And I know some of you probably came with like an aspiration. This series is supposed to be about dreams and visions. Why aren't you talking about waterfalls and flying and um, 
fast cars and uh, trees and all of the stuff you see. Why aren't you talking about all of this stuff? Because dreams aren't just about what you see in your sleep. But I've shared what I have done because it's so important we remember that if we do have a nighttime dream, we filter it through those things, faith, hope, love. Sometimes the dreams that you have might be nightmares. And you're like, oh, it's God, what are you trying to show me? Faith, hope, love. God, you're going to kill me. Faith, hope, love. God, it's the end of the world for me. I had a really terrible dream. Faith, hope, love. What supersedes? The dream or the word of God? The word of God, right? I hope you get that. But what do you do? When you're sleeping, put a notebook by your bed. You know, it's funny. When I have a notebook by my bed, I make notes about the dreams that I have. When I don't have a notebook by my bed, I don't. I get up. I forget all about the dream. And I just go into Rebecca. I had a really funny dream last night. And she's like, oh, what was it? I don't know. Forgotten. Forgotten already. So if you're having dreams, put a notebook by your bed. And when you wake up, note stuff down. Make a note of it. Because there's some stuff that God might talk to you about. Same if you're having time to daydream. Sit and daydream with a notebook by you. And Lord, Lord, I ask you to anoint my imagination. Give me a, a vision and a hope of the future. And, and believe God. For me, that works in the evenings. You know, when it comes time to go to sleep, Rebecca's and she goes to sleep at nine o'clock. I don't know how she does it. But, so I'm just sitting there and just got my notebook out because my brain is free, no work, nothing to do. Hour, two hours, making notes about what I believe the Lord is talking to me about. But that might be you in the morning. It might be you going up and getting your cup of coffee before you go off to work. It might be taking a lunch break where you just go sit outside. Whatever it is, but it's time for daydreaming. Or it might be a vision, an experience where God stops you and shows you something like he did with Peter in Acts 10. All three are viable ways for you to receive information from the Spirit of God. That's what he's talking about in Acts 2. You will dream dreams, you will have vision. You will get input from God that your mind in and of itself, your life in and of itself would inhibit and limit because we're all purpose-driven task-driven people. We've got stuff to do. What about making time to hear from God? What about making time to listen to the God who input the things that we don't even know are going to happen in the future? And once you've got those dreams or visions and you've noted them down, be wise. Sit down and say, God, what does this mean? And how do you want me to implement it? What does this mean and what am I supposed to do with this stuff? Now, some of you might need help and this is where good counsel comes in. Counsel is one or two people that you trust. You know that they hear from God. You know that they are for you and that they're on your side and get input from them. You see, there's a difference between receiving input concerning the dreams you have and envisioning, which is outputting. But seek input from those people who are wise counsel and be prepared for it to be tested, weighed up. It does require openness. It does require vulnerability. I'll give you an example. I had a weird dream. Uh, this is years ago, uh, 2000 and would it be eight? Whenever Tony Blair stepped down and Gordon Brown came in. A couple of months after that, I had a weird dream and I didn't really dream, but I dreamt that I saw I was at Tony Blair's baptism service. And people were just disappearing, like, he, and he basically gets left alone, getting baptized on his own. And a couple of months later, he's coming out as having reaffirmed his Catholic faith and how he's back with God and all of this kind of stuff. And I said to Colin, I was like, Colin, I had this crazy dream. I don't know what to do about it. Like, this is what happened and da-da-da. And he took it. He's like, yeah, I believe that's the word from God. He announced it to the church. And a couple of months later, like we said, Tony's out there getting saved. He was part of the whole crew that was like, we don't talk about God in public. That was politics in his day. And yet now he comes out and had a, a, some sort of an encounter with God. And for me, it was important to go to Colin and understand, you know, Colin, what am I dreaming about? I don't even get it. I don't normally even dream. I, I sort of wake up and just get about, gone about my business. But I noted that one down, notebook, okay? So if you're having dreams, if you're having visions, Note them down and then come and talk to a leader. Don't be someone that's like, oh, protect it, protect it, protect it. I'm not going to tell anyone. Not to, don't trust anybody. Find someone that you can trust. 
Because what you want to learn how to do is test the dreams, weigh the dreams. So you can learn how to hear God's voice amongst the range of input and data that you're receiving at that point in time. So that you know how to move forward with those things in appropriate ways. You know, one of the sad things for us is when people just write, write notes and say, I have a dream and it means this, 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 and I'm doing that. Um, and you're like, okay, what if the dream could also be, but, 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 but? No, no, no. I've decided this is what it means. I'm going to do that. Okay, but if you go down that road, this is where you're going to end up. If it meant this, you would end up here. Are you sure you want to end up there versus here? Versus, I've had a dream. What do we do about it? I'm trying to understand it. Let's explore it. So when you make the decision, you don't end up over here trying to find your way to get over here because you'll probably have to come back and start again. But rather you move in the right direction that God intended for that dream to speak to your heart. Making sense? So I want to talk to you briefly through seven steps to executing a dream that God puts in your heart. First thing, trust God. Trust God, trust God, trust God. There is no bigger lesson that you'll learn in your life than trusting God. Because I can guarantee you, every single one of you are going to come up against a situation where you expose your lack of trust for God. Say you're believing God for a life partner. The first one that shows up, you'll run with that one. And he was expecting for you to wait until the third one. But you've run with that one. God, because if I don't take this one, this is the only one that's asked me out on a date. What if I don't do it? Stop. Trust God. Trust God that he has a plan for your life. Second is keep your eyes on the dream. Keep it in front of you. Because if God has made clear the dream that he has for you, you're not to be running off doing A, B, C when he's called you to do X, Y, Z. Keep it in front of you. Keep your eyes set on that. Like one of the key things we know in ministry is if you really want to minister for Jesus, not to become a big name minister, but if you want to minister for Jesus in a meaningful, tangible way, sexual purity has got to be the way. So you can't be looking at ABC when God has called you to keep your eyes focused on his call for your life. Amen? And it could be so... So that or other things for you, if it's like, you know, you've got great career aspirations and you know with your natural talent you could jump up the ladder, but Christ is trying to call, form service in you, serve first. Let him do the next step with you, right? So keep the dream in front of you. Third, take stock of the step that you're about to take. Take stock of the step that you're about to take. Now, I'm going to give a few variations within this one. The first one Maybe you're not even ready to take a step. Maybe you've justified the fact that you do not need to engage with this dream or vision in your life. You know, I know so many guys that are sitting there. I could have played for Man United if I wanted to. I could have been a champion kickboxer if I wanted to. I could have, I could have, I could have, I could have. And they justify why they're sitting there. You know, I, 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 I had a pride issue. I didn't want to show off too much my football skills. Any kind of excuse to justify why they're not moving, why they're not taking a step. Now, ladies, I don't know how that applies to you. Maybe it's just sort of like, I don't want to do anything except that God tells me exactly what I'm supposed to do. It happens for us. We get bound up and we don't even take a step. Now, the problem with it, if we don't take that first step, is this second problem. is we become spectators in life. And we're just sitting there, and we're busy, and we're watching, and we're like, look at the way he's doing that. I wouldn't do that if I was in his position. Look at her. I mean, who does she think she is, acting all proud and like she's made something of her life? Criticizing instead of doing and leading. And this is especially dangerous in spiritual circles because spiritual pride and judgment are the hallmarks of a spectator. And those have nothing to do with the Spirit of Christ. Don't ever confuse discernment in that Spirit as the Holy Spirit. Criticism and judgment and pride are nothing to do with Jesus. So those first two, justifying your inaction and then becoming a spectator, no steps. Some of you are taking thousands of steps, but around the things that God has not called you to do. 
busy with this, busy with that, just need to fix this, make sure this is working, just need to do that, instead of just stopping and taking the step that Jesus has given us to take. You know, um, many of you will, no, not many of you will, but there's an interesting guy called Gary Vaynerchuk. I wouldn't recommend him for your Christian ears necessarily. He's a bit of a brash man, but he's a Jewish guy who's done very well in business. And he has one simple phrase that just made me laugh. He said, stop doing what you're doing if you don't love it. You can lose just as, money, as much money doing something that you love. Concept being that we can be trying, I'm going to make money here, I'm going to make money here, and we hate it, and I hate my job, and why has God put me here? And, uh, and, and then you're like, and my, my money's not adding up, and I don't get to pay all my bills. What's going on? You could lose just as much money focusing on the call of God on your life and probably make more money. So don't be running around doing everything else. Focus on what God has called you to do. Some of you might have gone back You might have been, God has clearly shown you this is the way, and now you've stepped back into your old pattern of doing things. You've had an encounter with God. You're like, God, I'm going to sow into the kingdom. And then along comes a new job, and you're like, what I really need to do right now is put the church on hold, and I'm just going to come over here and give over time and extra time. Don't step out of the right path to go back to the wrong path that you stepped out of. And some of you might need to take a step backwards in order to step forward in faith. What do I mean by that? Cut back on overtime. Pour time into what's important. Maybe take some time to step away from the career and come and do some study so that you can go further. Spend some time with God so that you can refocus your direction. Step away from your fixation on one element of your life. A number of guys that I know, that they get married and that's it. See you, fella. Off into the distance. Dude, you're married, but that's only part of your life. It's not your whole life. Step back in order to step forward in what God is calling you to do. Okay, three more points. Be practical. The spiritual Christian life is never about just, Lord, do you want me to do something crazy? No, he wants you to do something wise, something practical. Take a step that you need to move forward with. If you fail, Get up and try again. And try if you, if you fail again, get up and try again. And learn that every single step that you take will actually open a door for you to see something. The steps that you take will begin to open doors into your heart. Maybe you'll be surprised by the character issues that get exposed. Remember Joseph? <laughs> As he stepped forward in his dream and told everybody about how great he was going to be, he found that his brothers hated him. He found he ended up in jail. He found that he ended up estranged. He ended up being looked over because the door of, of stepping forward opened up some character issues in his life. Expect that. Don't be afraid of it. Your future requires that you deal with those character issues today so that you can move forward into the call of God on your life. Remember Peter. His first faltering step we all like focus on the fact that Peter sunk. What about focusing on the fact that he took three or four steps on the water? And then when he sunk, he walked back with Jesus. That encounter with God led to him knowing something of the nature of Christ. As far as I know, Peter's the only one to have experienced walking on water apart from Jesus. Because he took that step, he had an experience that has set him apart from the entirety of mankind. What about us? Maybe God has clearly shown you that step to take. Step forward and walk with him in it. Just to briefly, for some reason it's popping back to my mind, please, if you're struggling in a visa situation, do the right thing, go through the right channels, believe God for a favorable application. But don't be somebody that's like, I'm not going to do any applying, not going to put any paperwork forward, and God's just going to have to open the door for you. Where's the faith? Where's the believing God? And if he doesn't open a door, there's a door to be opened back home. Don't try to live life illegal. It just doesn't work. Okay? And I know that that might sound insensitive when you're believing God, but there is a wise way to move forward with that situation in your life. Um, and so grow in that next step. Point six, reflect and take, and take uh, stock of your progress. It's so important to reflect on what God is teaching you in situations so that you can move forward and move forward and move forward. And also remind yourself, when you get into a rut, 
You can stave off discouragement by saying, God has done this in the past. God has been there for me in the past. And number seven, give glory to God when it's due. Why? Because as you give him glory, the next step opens up. Some of you, you just stalled, stopped, because look how good I was. Look how, I didn't really need God after all. Look how far I got without him. (laughs) Jesus is the one that got you that far. Give glory and see how he moves you forward into the next step. So what practical steps does that mean? Just to throw out a few. Um, Maybe if you're in the church, you need to think about becoming a disciple or growing in leadership training or taking on consolidation training or catching a vision for how to be a disciple maker in the workplace or come to Bible school. Do something practical. If you're looking at your life and you're like, I need to develop some skills, I met a guy who told me that he looked at his life and he knew that he had a problem talking to people. So he took a job as a door-to-door salesman for three years to train himself on how to talk to people. Some people would be like, oh, this sounds too much like hard work. But the guy is multimillionaire these days. So which would you rather, the hard work? Okay. Um, Finally, serve in the job that God has given you. God is the one who gives promotion. See, service doesn't mean you lose vision or aspiration. Service is because from a kingdom perspective, it is your aspiration to be like Jesus wherever you are. And as you're serving the Lord, as you're serving the people around you, guarantee you, you'll be the one that they pick on. You'll be the guy, hey, we need you, we need you, we need you. Step up, step up, step up. Okay, sorry, I've gone over time. It's, It's that preaching thing, I love preaching. I love to preach. Let me pray for you. Father, we thank you, Lord. Lord, there are so many of us here that want to engage with dreams and visions in our life. There's so many here that want to move forward with the call of God. And Lord, we pray, Father, that you would begin to undo fear with love. Lord, that you begin to break off unbelief with faith. Lord, that you would begin to put hope back in our hearts. And Lord, that we would see practical ways that we can begin to move forward in the call of God on our lives. And Lord, we recognize that we are part of a big dream here in the house. Fulfillment of Jesus' dream for every nation to be discipled, to be glorifying God. And Lord, we pray that you would use us Work with us, transform us, position us to do that for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.